You are listening to 90.1 FM, KKFI, Kansas City Community Radio. Stay tuned for the Heartland Labor Forum, radio that talks back to the boss. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum, a weekly show of news, information, and commentary by and for the working people of Kansas City. This show is produced by a team of volunteers from a broad range of workplaces and unions. The views expressed on the Heartland Labor Forum are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any unions involved. And welcome again to the Heartland Labor Forum. I'm Judy Ansel. Tonight's show is being underwritten by Roofers Local 20 and Painters District Council 3. Roofers Local 20 Apprenticeship provides the highest quality of roof applicators in the region. Accredited by the United States Department of Labor Bureau of Apprenticeship Training, our program provides Local 20 with a workforce second to none. Craftsmanship and quality is what we do. On time and within budget is how we do it. For more information about roofer apprenticeships, call 913-281-2527. And the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 3, fighting for working families since 1916. And the Heartland Labor Forum and KKFI thank our underwriters for their support. On tonight's show, what's the Missouri legislature cooking up this session? Bills are being proposed that would assault people's rights and attack public education. Tonight on the show, we'll ask Missouri Representatives Ashley Arne and Aaron Crossley about this toxic stew. Then, they say the whole world is literally going to pot. This makes the cannabis industry ripe for organizing. Jerry Wood of Teamsters Local 955 will tell us all about what they're doing to help dispensary bud tenders become Teamsters. In the news, Musk, Amazon, and Trader Joe's all argue that our basic labor law is unconstitutional. And EPI, that's the Economic Policy Institute, finds that immigrants do not take jobs from citizen workers. Our feature at the end of the show is Washington Window on Workers. We're going to talk about labor for ceasefire. And now for the news. And now for the news from our side, February 22nd, 2024. We believe that language access is a human right for all people, all the time, no matter what. It's a public health issue. issue. It's a civil rights issue. It's an immigrant rights issue. It's a critical and basic component for a healthy democracy. Those are the words of Itzel Vargas, Valenzuela, 
of AIR, Advocates for Immigrant Rights and Reconciliation. AIR and KC Tenants brought a proposed ordinance to the Kansas City City Council today for language justice for so, for, so that we can have full democracy in our city. The ordinance establishes an Office of Language Access in City Hall, creates a position to oversee the work a language access officer, directs the language access officer to come up with a more robust plan for the city's program, mandates four plus positions will be hired for this office, amends the budget to dedicate $900,000 to language access, for 2024 and 2025, and proactively names KC tenants and AIR as community partners in this work with the city now and moving forward. In the vote this afternoon, the City Council voted to pass the Language Access Ordinance 12 to 1. The only council member who voted against it was Nathan Willett. When Trader Joe shut down a wine shop in New York City after workers began to unionize, the workers appealed to the National Labor Relations Board. The NLRB has now ordered Trader Joe's to reopen that store and pay fired employees for all the wages they lost. The, that's a real victory for workers and their union, Trader Joe's United. But as usual, the company has another union busting trick up its sleeve. Trader Joe's, along with other union busters, Elon Musk, SpaceX, and Amazon is arguing that the National Labor Relations Board itself is unconstitutional. Last Friday, in a hearing on Amazon's illegal union busing at the Staten Island warehouse that voted for a union, lawyers for Amazon argued that the structure of the NLRB particularly limits on the removal of administrative law justice, judges, and five board members appointed by the president violates the separation of powers and infringes on the executive powers stipulated in the Constitution. Really? We thought that argument got settled in 1937 when the Supreme Court ruled the National Labor, Labor Relations Act to be constitutional in a five to four ruling in the case NLRB versus Jones and Laughlin Steel Corp. The Economic Policy Institute has a new report out challenging assertions by any Republican candidates, including Donald Trump, that immigrants take jobs from citizens in the United States. They report that in 2023, immigrant workers comprised 18.6% of the workforce, which is a record high. However, they say that anti-immigration advocates claims that this costs American workers jobs is deeply misguided, EPI says. The reality is that the economy does not have a fixed number of jobs, and what we see today is a growing, a growing economy that is adding jobs for both immigrants and U.S.-born workers. They then point out six key facts which prove this. First, unemployment for U.S.-born workers is at an all-time low of 3.6 percent for 2023. Thus, immigration is not causing high unemployment. Second, citizens who have jobs are at the highest rate since 2001. Third, the unemployment rate for citizens at prime working age has been at an all-time high for the last two years. Fourth, that's even true for U.S.-born men without a college degree. That's an important figure because the anti-immigrant forces claim that it's blue-collar and less educated men who are being displaced by immigrants. The st statistics show that that is not true. 
What is true, they say, is that the labor market is both absorbing immigrants and generating strong job opportunities for U.S.-born workers, including those in demographic groups potentially most impacted by immigration. Fifth, the growth of the immigrant labor force is significantly less than it was between 1996 and 2000. And for those who subscribe to the lie that there is an invasion of immigrants coming across our border, the, far, the facts are that for the numbers for 2023 were also not as high as 2022 and slower than three of the years from 1996 to 2000. The fact is, they conclude, immigrants are an integral part of our labor market, filling gaps caused by demographic changes in the U.S. and contributing to strong economic growth. The Kansas City Labor Beacon reports that on January 8th, the Jackson County Legislative passed legislation anonymously that provides for standards that contractors must meet uh, when they bid on county construction projects. It's called responsible bidder language. The standards includes a one-to-one journeyman-to-apprentice ratio. Employee provide health care benefits for workers. A real apprentice program. Prevailing wage for workers perform uh, work performed. Additional safety requirements. Drug testing and additional record keeping requirements. Every county project over 75000 will require that contractors meet these standards. Ralph Orapiza, business manager of the Building and Construction Construction Trades Council, which is in coalition of KC Building Trades Union, said Jackson County passes responsible bidder language was the correct move, not just for unionized labor in the construction industry, but for taxpayers in the county. He called it a common sense measure. Passage of the ordinance not only shows the political power that the construction unions have, but also helps level the playing field between non-union contractors who bid low and then cut corners and their workers and the quality of job, common standards, at least as far as these go. We'll also guarantee better construction. Today's nude was was read by internationally known Judy Ansel, the amazing Tom Gipkin, the nice Judy Morgan, and me, Morty Mortensen. I'm Judy Morgan, President Emerita of the American Federation of Teachers, Local 691, and former Missouri State Representative for the 24th District. The song you just heard was Power to the People by John Lennon and the Plastic Ono Band. On this half of the show, we'll talk to two of our Missouri House Representatives about what's happening in the legislature this session. In her second term, Representative Ashley Awney represents District 14. She serves as the minority whip of the Democratic Caucus, is an ex-officio member of all House committees, and is the ranking minority member on the Emerging Issues Committee. In addition to her legislative duties, Ashley is the owner of Propel Creative Studio, a marketing agency in Kansas City. She lives in the Kansas City Northland with her husband and stepdaughter. Representative Aaron Crossley represents District 29 and is serving in his first term. He serves on three major House committees, Budget, General Laws, and Utilities. 
As a licensed master social worker, Erin has spent two decades working in roles centered on social and community service. Currently, he works as a behavioral health business strategist and project manager at a local safety net hospital. In addition, Erin is an adjunct professor teaching the social workers of tomorrow at a local university. Born in Independence, Erin resides there today with his wife, Jessica, and their son and their daughter. Welcome to the Heartland Labor Forum, Ashley and Aaron. I'm going to ask you about the initiative petition process, which is something I know a lot of our listeners are very concerned about. We have a really strong one in Missouri. It's enshrined in our state constitution where the people can put issues on the ballot and the voters decide. And for a number of years, the Republican majority in Jeff City has been filing bills that would weaken our initiative petition process and make it more difficult for the people to put issues on our ballot. Is our initiative petition process in danger, Ashley? Absolutely it is. Uh, You know, this is a piece of legislation in various forms that they've been pushing on both sides of this building for years now. In fact, we heard our speaker tie it directly uh, last at the end of last session to the abortion initiative petition that's moving through Missouri right now. He explicitly said that if we don't pass IP reform, we will restore abortion rights in Missouri. They're afraid of that. Um, and they and they are doing everything they can to fight that. So, you know, what we're seeing is um, a huge push by the Missouri Freedom Caucus, which is the most extreme right wing members of um, the Republican Party right now in this building, um, holding up everything in the Senate in order to get this passed. Uh, the thing that that makes me hopeful is that they have several hurdles uh, to implementing this in our state. First, they have to pass it through the legislature, um, and then it has to go to a vote of the people. And I very much believe that Missourians will uh, reject this uh, effort by the Republicans um, the same way voters in Ohio did last year. Aaron, would you like to add on to that? Absolutely. I think the biggest thing with with this is that it's taking away one person, one vote, and it's they're putting a lot of schemes together. I can't even keep track of all the different ways that they're trying to uh, diminish our voice, uh, you know, in looking at different concurrent majorities and looking at different formulas of, you know, a certain amount of House districts or congressional districts that would have to pass a ballot initiative for it to pass. Um, you know, I, I've said it before that I, I would call this the, the Politician Empowerment Act, if I would, were to call it anything, because really it's taking power away from everyday people and giving it to politicians here in Jefferson City. And I don't think that there are many of my constituents that are clamoring to do that. And at the end of the day, I think it makes people resent uh, government when we are passing initiatives that they don't want us to pass and saying that we know better uh, from our our um, city on a hill here in Jefferson City and not believing what people uh, at the ballot box are saying. So I think it's something that they're going to keep pushing and that I know that uh, pe- people in my caucus are going to keep fighting against. Well, I know that we've, we've defeated right to work, we've passed Medicaid expansion, we've passed medical and recreational marijuana, we've increased the minimum wage, we've done so many things at the um, through the initiative petition process that would likely not happen if the process was made more difficult. I read one disturbing article that said a number of these configurations, whether it's the majority plus half of the legislative districts, which would be 82 out of 163, or more than half of the congressional districts, five out of eight, 
any of those things would one in one in five persons could actually kill anything and make sure that nothing passes that the rest of the people want. Right. So that would be uh, really detrimental. But um, okay, that sounds it, it, it's 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 kind of hard to say right now if it will pass right because of all the dysfunction going on. Would that be an accurate statement? Absolutely. I, I have no idea what to expect from the Senate at this point, but um, they the Freedom Caucus is certainly doing everything in their power to move that legislation forward. Okay, well, thank you. Well, let's talk a little bit just about anti-labor bills since this is the Heartland Labor Forum. And is the legislature considering any bad anti-labor bills that would hurt organized labor in this year's session, like right to work, anti-prevailing wage or paycheck deception? I haven't seen um, anything uh, moving in the House um, this year, and I'm really grateful for that. You know, like I said, there's been a lot of dysfunction in the legislature this year. And I think that that's a bit of a saving grace um, just in that, you know, I, I'm not certain that we're going to get a whole lot done. So um, any of these bills that are being filed um, doesn't seem like they're a priority on the side of the building. Well, that's a bit of good news. On the Heartland Labor Forum tonight, we're talking to Missouri Reps Ashley Ani and Aaron Crossley about this year's legislative session. It seems like public education is constantly under assault in the Missouri legislature. The first bill passed by the House this session was House Bill 1989, which would allow for open enrollment throughout Missouri. Talk to our listeners about what open enrollment is and the impact it would have on public education. You know, we've got plenty of K-12 schools uh, across our state. Um, and, you know, I think that, that those smaller schools and the communities uh, where those schools are located uh, will suffer. And Aaron, I, I, uh, I believe that with open enrollment, a child could decide to go anywhere in the district, anywhere in the state rather, right? Right. It could go. It could be any district. I believe that's um, adjoining to theirs. I'll have to go back and read read the specific language. I just know representing parts of three districts: the Independent School District, the Blue Springs School District, and the Raytown School District. That parents in in those districts don't want open enrollment. I've never had a constituent reach out, or when I was campaigning, going door to door, say that they wanted open enrollment. I've had a few people reach out and say they don't. They don't want it because, as Representative Ani said, it would create a lot of inequity within our school system. And I think ultimately, what a lot of these, um, what what they what they call school choice, I would I would quibble with uh, the moniker, um, is that it creates it creates more government and less accountability. So you're going to be uh, moving tax dollars in many more directions and having to keep track of that and issuing different. Uh, different waivers and ways to get kids to school. Um, and so it's going to create a, a bigger, more bloated government with less accountability to how our, do our dollars are being accounted for. And uh, ultimately, I think we do best when we focus on our local uh, school districts and let local school districts decide how to run their schools. And I mean, the ultimate school choice is for parents to decide who is on their school board and who is not. And so uh, a lot of these laws are aimed at really taking responsibility away from voter voters and giving it to the state government. I think the bill says that districts can choose to participate in the open right. enrollment. Is that correct? That's correct. Yes. That's correct. And there's a th threshold of 3%, but um, I think the ultimate end game is to keep pushing it farther. Um, and even just with a 3% cap, it still just creates a lot of confusion and where our dollars are going and how they're being spent. Right, exactly. Did you have something you wanted to add to that, Ashley? 
only that my districts would absolutely opt out of it. And I would say, I would guess that most districts across the state would opt out, leaving a very strange patchwork of districts who who may be opting into this, um, which could create more chaos and confusion for parents and students. And I know the vote was um, 86 to 73 in the House, and it takes 82 votes for anything to pass. So it really just barely passed. And it did have opposition from both Democrats and Republicans. And getting bipartisan opposition is generally not uh, an easy thing in the legislature. So is there any significance to that vote that we can read into it? Yeah, I think the significance, honestly, is that it's just another example of some of the coalitions that are formed in this building around big issues like this. Um, what what we've seen is that most Democrats have formed a coalition with our uh, rural Republican counterparts because we understand how this is going to affect um, our communities and our, our districts, and we know that we'll be the most impacted by it. Uh, currently, Missourians who are unemployed qualify for 20 weeks of unemployment benefits, which I might add is Pretty chintzy as federal law allows for 26 weeks. For years, the legislature has been drastically uh, trying to reduce this benefit. Uh, are they trying again this session to reduce the unemployment for, for folks? So there there has been um, some legislation filed in the Senate that I'm aware of. Um, I don't believe that it's been referred. Um, oh, no, I'm sorry. It has been. I think it's on the informal perfection calendar in the Senate. Um, it, it's SB 745 by uh, Senator Bernsketter. Um, and that's one of the ones that kind of does the, depending on what the employment rate is in the state, that would affect um, how many weeks uh, any given individual would um, be eligible for unemployment. Um, we've seen this moving over the last several years. And um, it's a terrible piece of legislation. It is so bad and so frustrating to, to see. Um, I don't think that it has a lot of momentum behind it. Um, so I'm not super fearful it's going to pass this year. But it's just another one of those, um, you know, initiatives and pieces of legislation that we've got to keep an eye on year after year. Um, because, you know, sometimes it takes years for these things to, to get momentum. Um, and we just got, need to keep fighting it at every step. I think when I was there, they were trying to reduce it to like 12 weeks, but I think since then it's gotten even less to maybe eight weeks. And since we have such low unemployment, um, I'm guessing it, they'd drop off the cliff. People would go from the 20 they're getting now to if this passed, mm -hmm. they'd go to eight or nine or 10 or whatever it ends up being. Okay, so that 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 is something we still need to worry about then, it sounds like. Yeah. Ashley, you're in your second term and Aaron, you're in your first. I'd like to ask you, is the Missouri legislature what it thought you would be? Have you encountered any surprises, positive or negative, for our listeners out there to know about? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the legislature, I, you know, honestly, I don't even remember at this point what my expectations were when I came <laughs> in. It was such a whirlwind when I ran in 2020 in the middle of a pandemic um, and was sworn in during an insurrection, and things have not been normal since then. So, um <laughs> It, it's been um, it's been a wild ride for sure. I will say, you know, one of the things that surprised me the most was um, the amount of camaraderie I found with my uh, Democratic colleagues here in the House. Um, it's the thing that keeps me going every day. You know, being in a super minority, uh, as you know, Judy is tough. Um, you know, we come down to Jefferson City every week and we lose, and uh, we lose over and over and over again. Um, but the folks that I'm down here fighting, fighting with uh, day in and day out, 
um, it, you know, we, we built this incredible bond and um, a friendship that I, I never really expected. And I'm, I'm incredibly grateful for, we joke around a lot that we're all trauma bonded because um, we've <laughs> gone through all of this together. Um, but it really is true. I mean, we, we, we've, we've, face the opposition um, arm in arm every single day. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm grateful for their fighting spirit and I'm grateful to serve alongside these folks. How about you, Aaron? And you're just in your second year, your first term, second year. That's right, that's right. And your listeners couldn't see me kick my head back and laugh when you asked this <laughs> question, because I love when people ask it because usually the lesson I'm in the middle of learning is different than the day before. Uh, I think, you know, for me, I, as a social worker, I, uh, part of my code of ethics calls me to be engaged in advocacy in the political realm uh, for on behalf of my profession, on behalf of the clients that I serve, and just for society at large. And so I had been involved in some advocacy and just engaged in what was happening uh, before I got to the legislature, watching great representatives like uh, Representative Ani and others uh, making change from afar. Um, so when I came here, it was a little surreal just to kind of be a part of it because I had seen it, you know, in the in a matter of speaking on TV. And then so to be in the chamber and being uh, with such great reps was a real honor. I think I think for me, you know, with the difference is also so I, I don't think I was super surprised in a lot of kind of what was happening. The I would say the biggest thing that made an impression on me was just hearing what is said on and off of the mic. So, you know, you, we all hear what people say when they're on the record, but hearing what people are saying off the record is a little uh, <laughs> disheartening and encouraging. So, you know, on, on, in some cases, you know, hearing, um, well, when we heard the, the anti-trans bills last year, um, I had a colleague on the other side of the aisle tell me that he thought if we passed those bills that they would be harmful to children. And I tended to, to agree with medical, medical experts and let them uh, go into their expertise. And uh, But he still voted yes on the mic. He still voted yes mm -hmm. in committee on bills that he had told me off the mic would be harmful to children. And and so I think that it's, that's kind of people at the worst, but then also seeing people at the best when they are taking those hard votes, when they're voting for what they know to be right and what their constituents would want, rather than what um, big donors would tell them to do, rather than what, what their party would tell them to do, taking those hard votes and standing up for, for the principles they know to be right. Um, it's kind of seeing the best and the worst in people that has made the biggest impression on me. We're running, we're running out of time, so I want to ask you, both of you, real quickly, um, what's the best way for your constituents to get in touch with you? I always tell people they can find me lots of places. Um, <laughs> Ashley.ani at house.mo.gov. That's A-S-H-L-E-Y dot A-U-N-E at house.mo.gov. Or AshleyFromMissouri.com. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook and all of the socials. I'm very, very available. Okay, great. And Aaron, how about you? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Same, same deal. If you Google okay. uh, Aaron Crossley, A-A-R-O-N-C-R-O-S-S-L-E-Y, uh, you can find me everywhere. And my cell phone number is on my campaign website. So if you want to call me and text me, you're welcome to do that. But I'll, uh, my house email is aaron.crossley at house.mo.gov. And I'd love to hear from you anytime. Well, thank you. I'm Judy Morgan, and I want to thank our guests this evening, Missouri Reps Ashley Ani and Aaron Crossley. I know how busy you are during the legislative session, and we very much appreciate you taking the time to share your perspectives with us. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Judy. Thank you.
Uh, this is Judy Morgan again. I wanted to update our listeners on the initiative petition process. The show you just heard was pre-recorded Monday afternoon with the two Missouri legislators, Ashley Ani and Aaron Crossley. And since then, SJR, Senate Joint Resolution 74, has passed in the Senate. And it is a, uh, we'll go to the ballot, if, if it's passed on the House side too, it will go to the ballot. And it's one of the efforts to take away your voice at the ballot box. What it will do is it will require not only a majority of voters to pass a constitutional amendment to the Constitution, but it will also require that a majority of the congressional districts also vote in favor of it, which would be five of eight congressional districts. So it's basically just putting another way of making it harder for things to get to the ballot, for voters to vote on the stuff that the legislature won't do and they want in practice. And also in the House, coming up this Tuesday, three bills are going to be heard, House Bill 1749, House Joint Resolution 72, and House Joint Resolution 102. And they also are in the same vein. They want to take away your voice at the ballot box and make it harder to have things passed through the initiative petition process. If you want to submit testimony, you can submit written testimony. Go to witness.house.mo.gov. Tune in to Economics for the People every fourth Thursday at 7 p.m. It's a show about people and communities, economics, life, and livelihoods, about diverse voices and economic experiences. Join us on a collective journey to shape and reimagine an economy that prioritizes people over profit. Economics for the People every fourth Thursday at 7 p.m. Are you interested in promoting ranked choice voting? Better Ballot KC is hosting a get-together to learn more and to take action. It will be Wednesday, March 6th at the Plaza Library, 4801 Main Street, reception with food at 5.30 and meeting at 6. See more info at betterballotkc.org or write to info at betterballotkc.org. This message is a public service of KKFI. Bogart that joint, my friend Pass it over to me Bogart that joint, my friend Pass it over to me Roll another one Just like the other one You've been hanging on to it And I sure would like a hit Don't bogart that joint, my friend Pass it over to me Guard that joint, my friend Pass it over to me uh, The song you just heard is Don't Bogart That Joint by Fraternity of Men. And we're looking to have a lighthearted conversation <laughs> in this segment. 
I'm Tom Gepkin. I'm president of CWA Local 6360 here in Kansas City. And my good friend Judy Morgan, president emerita of AFT 691, and a former House member will be hosting this segment. In November 2022, Missouri voters voted to legalize marijuana for recreational use. This created a legal industry for this newly legal product. Workers in the new industry called bud tenders are de determining that a union might be the best way to make more green and have better benefits, which would lead to a higher standard of living. On tonight's show, we're going to talk to Jerry Wood. He's president of Teamsters Local 955. He has wasted no time in his local's quest to organize dispensaries in Kansas City, and the Teamsters are conducting a nationwide organizing drive where it is legal. Jerry, Judy and I are really buzzed that you are here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> hi, hi, Jerry. This is a brand new industry, and I would like to just mention we were talking about the initiative petition process in the last segment, and Tom brought it up in the introduction, but we would not have recreational marijuana in Missouri if it were not for the initiative petition process. The voters actually took that to the ballot and said, yes, we want it. And if we got rid of the IP process, we probably wouldn't have it at this point. So I just wanted to point that out. So tell our audience what a bud tender is. That's my first time hearing that phrase. And why the Teamsters decided to organize this industry. Well, bud tender is kind of a play on words they use. It's like a bartender for marijuana. So bud tender actually is somebody who is trained, studies on the process they use to make edible marijuana and different things to be able to sell you the product and understand the product you're selling you. I mean, it's, it's a lighthearted word, but in reality, it's really, it's, there's a lot that goes into it. So, so they basically go through training to learn all of that before they're hired at the dispensary? When they hire them, they, yeah, they put them through training, and it's a continuous training with new products and new processes and how they're doing it. So when you go in and talk to one of them, they can actually educate you and have you understand what you're buying and how to properly use the product you're buying. So do they sell both edibles and like loose marijuana, like you smoke a joint? Do they yeah, sell both? and pre-rolled joints as well, yeah. Okay, pre-rolled, okay. <laughs> yeah, if you don't want to roll your own, they'll take care of that for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so why did the Teamsters uh, decide to organize them? Did they come to you, or did you go to them? Well, at the original, most of them we went to them started, but and the reason we started is because this is a billion-dollar industry. It's on pace to be billion dollars. I mean, they're it's crazy the amount of money they're going to be making, these companies. And they hired these folks, and they're treating them like they're a sacker at a grocery store starting out at a new job, and they're just cheating them. They're not paying them good. Their uh, their wages are low. There's no benefits to speak of. Uh, and they're treating it like it's an in-and-out, just get rid of them job, and they're not. They, they, so it ought to be a career is what Teamsters decided, and we're going to help these folks make a career out of it. So they don't have health insurance most a lot of, of times? Most of them we've talked to do not. Okay. Or if they do, it's unaffordable. I would think that the marijuana industry pie is really big and that they're entitled to a share of that. We agree. That's that's our goal. Uh, would you tell us about the employees that work in these fields and then kind of elaborate on, on if you know what the, like is the training program six weeks, eight weeks, two weeks, uh, what's all it's, involved? It's all in a that? fresh industry. So each company kind of does their own training and, the, and when a new producer comes out or some, they'll They'll give them samples, teach them what it does, and teach them how it's made. But I don't really know the whole process they're going through because each company is doing their own training. But 
there's quite a bit that goes into it. I know when you go and talk to them, you'll be surprised what How they do know. They are. You really will. Yeah, I would think it'd take a special person with special skills to work in that field. It does, and that, and you'll be. It's kind of neat when you talk to these folks. They feel that, and it, rightfully so, they're part of a movement. You know, this is back in the twenties. As alcohol they legalized, and they went through the anti-prohibition. Then they're, they're stuck, and that's what this is for marijuana. And they they feel like they're part of a movement, and they're very very smart people, and they're they deserve a fair wage. And they're getting in on the ground floor. Yep. I, I do have a question about the money because uh, federal law still. Uh, it's it's not legal at the federal level marijuana, so how do they how do the companies deal with the money? Do they put it in banks or do they put it? Some- I I don't know what the companies do with their money. That's not part of what I do, but I do know the majority, and that's something else we have an issue with. The majority of the sales are cash, and we I've actually talked to some of these bud tenders that have no security in their building when they're oh. dealing with mm. ten twenty thirty thousand dollars worth of cash yeah. coming in in a day. So, I mean, that's, and that's one of the things, of course, we're going to require them to have security in there all the time. So, do they take credit cards at all, or does it all have to be cash? I think they'll take debit cards, okay. but I'm not positive. Okay. And I think the state is getting a cut. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, that should be helping their coffers out some. Let's talk about the organizing drive. Generally, in any union organizing drive, there's a pattern where the company really tries to discourage the employees from joining a union. So are the are you dealing with one company or more than one company? We're dealing with multiple companies, okay. uh, and, and they absolutely are. They're hiring union busters to come in and to try to scare these people and make them think they don't need a union, don't want a union, and we're not going to help them. And, they're spending more money than they would in wages if they just let these folks do what they have the right to do and join, form a union. So are most of the dispensaries fairly small in terms of the number of employees? It just depends. It's okay. like any other industry. I, there are some places you have 10 or 12 bud tenders, and there are some places that might have 100 bud tenders. It's just wow. how much they sell. Wow, okay. And, and do they do they have kind of normal hours? Do they still open in the evenings to accommodate people's work schedules? It depends on the shop, but most of them are, yeah, they start a little later in the morning. Okay. As one of them told me, you know, us dope smokers don't get up early, I believe is what they said to me, but they usually start a little later in the morning and work a little later in the evening. Maybe somebody wants something at 10 or 11 o'clock at night, they might be able to get it. Okay. So has anybody been fired as a result of your organizing efforts? Yes, I have labor charges filed on several people that have been fired for trying to form a union okay. at different companies. And you actually have formed at one at one place, right? We have. and. It's it was going well in the beginning, but it's not going as well okay. now. The company's throwing everything they have at us for trying to bust the union, and it's still a fight. Even though they voted to join the union, the company doesn't give up their fight yeah. until you get that first contract. Sure, it's always hard. So you said they're union busters. What are, what are these lawyers? Are they? It's usually law firms and okay. law firm either a lawyer or somebody that used to be a union member. They'll pay them to come in, and and they. They pay good money. They pay two, three hundred dollars an hour to these folks to come in there, and and the funny part, they don't come in and tell you the union is bad for you. The union can't fix it. They come in, and they'll start out being nice and being your buddy. Well, you guys, have, they'll tell them you guys have the right to do what you want, but I just want you to know all the facts because I was in a union once, and then they oh. lead them down this path that, yeah. and they just flat out lie to them. 
we're like a family, and now the the union's going to come between us, and we're a family. And, and, and yeah. I'm, I'm assuming they do that on work time. They take, absolutely they take their work time to come in and kind of the captive audience. Like, yep, they made it illegal to have a captive audience, to, but it's not illegal to have the meeting. It's illegal to f- mandatory them to come. Yeah. So they tell everybody it's this is not a mandatory meeting. But we highly recommend you come. Yeah, which means if you want to keep your job, you're probably going to come. Absolutely. Yeah. They got their job in their hand, and people are scared. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh, you're listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, and we're talking to Jerry Wood, who is the president of the Teepsters Local 955, about the marijuana organizing industry. What is the age uh, range of the bud tenders? Oh, that's really kind of neat because I've seen it's uh, everybody. I've seen a learn how to talk. I met with bud tenders from age about eighteen or nineteen all the way up to their fifties. Hmm. It's a very diverse crowd. They're um, they're an interesting group. They're very liberal, very progressive, and but uh, the age group all the way through. So, so I would think maybe the fact that they're more liberal and progressive might make them a little more willing to join a union? It does when you first talk to them. And if you educate them and get them to understand what the laws are and that they have the right to do this and employers lying to them, trying to stop them from doing it, you're in pretty good shape. But the problem is most people don't know labor laws. Right. So when they get to talking to them, they, they can scare them pretty easily. But, yeah, you're, you're right. They absolutely, as more progressive, they tend to be more – leaning towards make it forming a union do, are they militant some some are a few more than in other industries so are any other uh, unions trying to organize the recreational marijuana industry and how does that work here in kansas city ufcw is doing trying to organize as well and they're just they're, they're just like any other industry where there's multiple unions we just both do our job and represent the people the best we can uh, when you talk to these bud tenders, uh, what makes them want to be a bud tender? Why be a bud tender? Almost every one of them will tell you they want to be part of the movement, that they feel and they've thought marijuana has helped people through the years with illnesses or pain or whatever else there was that they they believe it helps with. And they, they, they feel they're part of the movement helping that product become well, not just legal, but actually be able to use it and not have the stigma to it. So you don't deal with um, medical marijuana, though, right? Yes, we do. Oh, you do deal with Bud medical marijuana? sells both. Oh, okay. They, they sell both at that same facility? Yes. Oh, I didn't know that. So in terms of the medical marijuana, do they have to come in with a doctor's prescription? I they did originally and i they still have i've had some of my bud tenders said that they still carry their medical card but i don't know if they oh, still have to have it to purchase but oh, I, right. I don't believe they do oh that's right because you because initially you had to get a medical card to be yeah. able to go do you had it. to get a prescription basically yeah and now you don't have to have the prescription i don't think they have to have the card anymore but they still sell the medical and the recreational is right there in the same place okay well that's interesting i didn't know that and going back to the IP process, medical marijuana was also passed through the initiative petition. Yes, I think it was first, mm-hmm, and then mm-hmm. a few years later, they de- groups got together to decide to put the recreational on the ballot. And I think it passed by 56, 57. Oh, it was big 50, numbers. Yeah, yeah, it was. You know, our lawmakers didn't want it, so that's one reason we need an initiative petition because we can't have the lawmakers that disagree exactly. with the majority of the people right. make all the rules. The majority exactly. of people need to be able to find a way to pass a law. 
I know we, uh, when I was in the House, we actually did pass medical marijuana one time, but it wouldn't pass through the Senate. So that's why they finally had to take it. But recreational never passed either side of the chamber. We did have bills submitted, but I don't know that they even got a hearing. Yeah, I don't remember ever getting a hearing. Yeah, so I was kind of surprised that recreational passed so heavily. I thought with Missouri being more of a rural state, but I'm guessing that there's folks in those rural areas that probably like marijuana too. I don't know that there's any rural city or town that doesn't have a dispensary in it. <laughs> okay. So they're everywhere. I believe that's right. Suburbia, there, there urban, and more, rural. There might be more per capita in rural Missouri than in... Uh, you know, and you've done a lot of organizing over your career, and in this organizing process, do you use the traditional organizing tactics or do you have to change it up a little bit i think with every industry you change up a little bit but for the most part yeah you, it's still the same kind of thing you still you have to educate the folks on the, what the union is that they're the union you educate them on the process of how to form that union and how to join the teamsters and it, for the most part it's the same but it's a lot easier to talk to them with them being a little more progressive it seems so how did you initially kind of get your foot in the door well, with most of them, they've come to us. Okay. There's a couple we've knocked on the door and kind of found our first contact, but the majority have come to us. And when they come to you, are they saying, you know, we're being treated badly, we're not paid enough? Yes. Okay. Yeah, we're not treated badly, we're not paid enough, we don't have insurance, we can't pick our own hours, our managers can do whatever they want. If they get mad at us, they just don't work us. And, you know, the usual complaints from a non-union company that abuses their employees. So basically, no, not very many rights at all, it sounds like. Uh, yes. Okay. Now, when they uh, have looked out at the union landscape, what, what made them want to be part of the Teamsters? Most of them just say that they want to be Teamsters because they believe the Teamsters is a strong union. And I'm not saying UFCW is not as well or anybody else, but I think our name just stands out a little bit. It's well known. I believe Everybody that's right. knows the Teamsters. So, do the current non-union employees have any benefits, or will be? It sounds like they don't. From what you're talking about, the ones, they, I, the the places I've talked to either have none or have their insurance benefits are so expensive they can't afford to buy them with what the company's paying them. Just kind of like Walmart always was. They Absolutely. had the offered insurance, but it was just so expensive that they put their whole paycheck into it, basically. Yep, exactly. Okay. So do you feel like um, these individuals becoming part of a union will be a life changer? Absolutely do. I think it will give a person the opportunity to go to work every day, do your job, have some insurance, build a pension, and retire from that. Make a career out of it instead of a job. And I'm guessing they don't have any pension or 403B or anything like that, or 401K. The ones I've talked to so far, no. Okay. So Jerry, you you organize uh, you're you're organizing the, the recreational and medical marijuana. It sounds like since they sell both at these at these dispensaries, but you do you do a lot of other stuff too. Talk a little bit about everything else you do. Yeah, we represent a lot of warehouses. We represent some dairy, uh, Bimbo Bakeries, and bread drivers. We reckon that represent them. Uh, we have some public employees, some clerks at the county sheriff's office over Wyandotte County. Just a little bit of everything. We just we represent just a little bit of everybody. And and where is your geographic span? My jurisdiction's from basically up just north of St. Joe to South Kansas City 
and Kansas City, Kansas, Missouri. And do you have other um, people at the office who help you? Yes, I have another uh, business agent, Shane Thompson, works with me. Okay, so but just the two of you? Just do, two do, of us in this local, yes. The Teamsters actually have four locals in Kansas City, and we're just one of the four locals. Okay, okay. And, and I will tell you, Jerry is in charge of the Teamsters Golf Tournament, and I play oh, in that okay. every year. It's a fun time. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> okay, so four different Teamsters locals. Um, when one of them represents the UPS drivers, right? That would be Local 41, yes. Okay, so they represent UPS. Okay, okay. Anything else you want to add about the organizing? Has it been tough on you? What what have kind of been the highs and the lows? Organizing is always tough. <laughs> it, it goes good, and then somebody will get scared, quit talking to you, and you get down in the dumps a little bit about it. But it's it's always kind of rough. It, organizing is one of the hardest jobs for a business agent. I agree, because you've got a lot going against you with the company having all that money to hire those union busters, yeah. and unions don't have that kind of money necessarily to – you have to just fight back with your passion and your facts and that kind of thing. And we don't can't catch them at work. There's no guaranteed time we're going to have That's them sitting right. there in front of us. That right. We just pound it into their head. How how do you catch them? Do you have to catch them like on breaks and? Yeah, just any way we can. Sometimes you catch them on breaks. Sometimes you catch them when they come out for a smoke break. You, one of the employees will introduce you to another one of the employees. Just however you can make it work. Okay. Well, uh, thanks, Jerry, for coming on. This was really uh, interesting. I've, I've learned some stuff out of this, and I appreciate you coming on and uh, teaching us about the marijuana industry. Well, thank you for having yeah, me. This you. has been fun. Yeah, thank you, Jerry. Jerry, president of the Teamsters, Local 955. We really appreciate you. Uh, this is uh, multiple times you've been on KKFI now, and your mom was on once also. So we really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. Thank you. Hi, and this is Judy Ansel, and with me on the phone <clears throat> from Washington, D.C. is Mark Grunberg from Press Associates, Inc., who's going to fill us in on an event that's happening in just 10 minutes across the country called Labor for a Ceasefire. They're having a webinar at 7 p.m. here, Central Time. So, hi, Mark. How are you? Oh, fine. Thank you, Beth. Preparing for this webinar, it's going to be an interesting one, to say the least. So, yeah. Well, tell me a little bit about it. Um, what is the group Labor for a Ceasefire? It's a great, it's about two hundred local over two hundred local unions, seven national unions, two sort of labor type groups. You can't really call them unions, but labor affiliated groups. They've come together, and what they want to be is a mass movement. Uh, they're signing up individuals now as well as unions to push for a ceasefire in, in the in the war between Israel and, and 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 Hamas and the war on Gaza too, obviously. Um, okay, so um, tell us who are the national unions? Uh, well, I could, 
there's a, there's a, let's see, there's going to be uh, among the speak two two union leaders are going to speak. Uh, Becky Pringle of the National Education Association, which is the biggest union in the country, and team and the auto workers president Sean Fain. Uh, other unions include the postal workers, the painters, the flight attendants, National Nurses United. And, yeah, National Nurses United, and, the, and there's a couple of others besides. Right. United Electrical Workers is one of them. In fact, they were the first union, actually, to come out for a ceasefire way back right. last year, yeah. actually. Yes, um, yes. <clears throat> so uh, what demands uh, do they have? And I assume they're addressing these demands to President Biden? They are, yes. They want Biden to immediately demand a ceasefire, that the, the, the shooting stop. They want him to put pressure on the Israeli government to let, to let, to let the, uh, aid through, to let humanitarian aid through. They want, they want him to uh, basically demand the release of the hostages as part of a deal to start negotiations for a two-state solution. And they, and they, want, and they want basically to, no, no more invading, no, no more rafas, no more um, you know, smashing through everything, bombing hospitals and all the rest. Um, okay, so, you know, there, there's a quote in the article you wrote that I really like. Cause this is from <clears throat> James Williams, Jr., who's president of the Painters uh, Union, and he said, Working people have a duty to stand up. We know that neither bombs nor bullets can fix a conflict of this magnitude. Um, is that pretty much the general sentiment that... Uh, this is really an anti-war movement, and that they need to figure out how to negotiate a peace. Is that what they're yes. after? Yes, yes, in so many words. So are are these unions also call, calling for an end to U.S. military support for Israel? No, not this coalition. One, me one member of the coalition is, and that's Auto Workers District 9, which is New England and sort of pieces of upstate New York. Oh, yeah, we had Brandon uh, Mansilla on a couple of weeks ago talking about that. Right. Yeah. But they're the only one that I know of that's calling for an end to military aid. So a number of these unions have already endorsed Biden for re-election. Is this a fly in the ointment as far as their, uh, you know, support for him? <clears throat> Not a fly in the ointment, but it's a, it's a warning signal to him just like the AFL-CIO statement was two weeks ago, uh, that you can't take you can't take labor for granted, especially younger union members. Mm -hmm. uh, he can't take them for granted because they they don't like what they don't like his policies on the, on this war in so many words. And now even he's getting uh, starting to split away from Netanyahu, at least in words, if not in money. When, when he says the invasion is over the top, quote unquote. You know, he, you know, even he's getting pissed off at the Israeli government. Right, it does, but it does, that doesn't mean much unless the United States puts its military aid where its mouth is, right? Right, and uh, when Bernie Sanders tried that twice, he got clobbered twice on the Senate floor, That's unfortunately. True. So where is the AFL-CIO in all of this? They are now calling for a ceasefire also. They're not part of this coalition tonight, but... Uh, let's see, two weeks ago, they put out their own very short and somewhat mild statement that definitely called for a ceasefire. And, they, and after that, they shut up, in so many words. 
Okay. Well, let me say that if people want to watch this webinar tonight um, at 7 o'clock Central Time, all you have to do is get online and go to l4cf.org, that webpage, and you can register for it. And the yeah. other guests who will be on besides Mark mentioned Sean Fain and Becky Pringle from NEA, also Democracy Now! co-host Juan Gonzalez, <clears throat> and Representatives Rashida Tlaib, who is the only Palestinian in Congress, and Representative Summer Lee. So that's all we have time for. Thanks a lot, Mark. Okay, thank you. Uh, Watch for next week. We'll have a story on this. Okay, great. So, Thanks. Actually, we'll have it tomorrow, but you get the idea. So. <laughs> right. Thanks a lot. Bye. Okay. And uh, that uh, launches the uh, Heartland Labor Forum calendar, which is also on our Facebook page. If you just go to Facebook and look for Heartland Labor Forum, you can find it. Um, there's a Good Jobs Town Hall meeting on Thursday, February 29th, right at the same time as our show, starting at 6.30. It's on why a new stadium must include a Good Jobs Community Benefits Agreement. That'll be at St. Mark's Church, 3800 Troost, sponsored by the Fight for 15, Missouri Workers Center, Heartland Center for Jobs and Freedom, and Missouri Jobs with Justice. And a community culture cooperation Innovating Solutions to Economic Violence. This is a symposium at UMKC, <clears throat> Friday and Saturday, March 8th and 9th. And if you want to hear more about this, just stay tuned on KKFI with, for Economics for the People, which is going to be talking about the symposium. That's it for, uh, that's all we have time for. There's more in our calendar, but you can find it on our Facebook page. Next week, tune in. We're going to be interviewing Les Leopold about his new book, Wall Street's War on Workers. And we're going to be talking about the Kansas legislature. Now, we've already talked about what's cooking in Jeff City. Now we're going to be talking about what's cooking in Topeka. And it also is not a very tasty brew. Thanks to tonight's engineer, Stephen Hill. The Heartland Labor Forum is a member of the Labor Radio Podcast Network of over 200 labor radio shows and podcasts from around the U.S. and the world. You can find them at laborradiopodcastnetwork.org. And stay tuned for Economics for the People. listening to the Heartland Labor Forum, a show by and about workers, our workplaces, and our labor movement. We are radio that talks back to the boss. And you can talk back to us, too. Send us your feedback, your workplace stories, news, and ideas for shows to heartlandlaborforumkkfi at gmail.com. Our website, where we archive shows and post our upcoming ones, is heartlandlaborforum.org. The views expressed on this show are ours and not necessarily those of KKFI or any of the unions involved. Tune in every Thursday evening at 6 or to our rebroadcast Friday mornings at 5 right here, 90.1 FM. We still got our pride, cause we are the working class and that's the place to be. He said
Struggle 